0: Good evening. Thank you for being here again this evening. I know it's the second time for many of us, maybe some the first time, but we're very grateful for you, your presence, and we're grateful for those that are visiting with us. We're grateful for those who have joined us online. I have told you oftentimes that out of the two, English and reading or math, uh, math was much stronger suit for me than was English in reading. And I used to have trouble because people would say, how in the world can you be that good in math and not be able to read? In fact, I remember, as I've told you before, I, I took an achievement test one time, and I remember getting called into the guidance council, and he says, how can you work those problems, word problems, and get them all right, and do so bad on the reading part? He said, "How'd you do that?" And I remember thinking, "I hope I didn't say it. I don't know, but I did it. You know, that's just the facts." I tell you that. Tell you, I've I've had a little trouble trying to figure out just how to title this lesson. I finally figured out that one of the things on the English. For those achievement tests, they would ask you to read these paragraphs, and then they'd say, pick out the best title. I evidently didn't pick out what they thought was the best title. And I thought it was neat when I got to write my bulletin, and I could entitle the article anything that I wanted to. But again, I've, I've struggled with this one a little bit, but I'm going to entitle it, We Are, So be and what I want us to do is to say, well, here we are. I think all of us would admit that we are in existence. We're here. And so if we're here, what should we be, especially those of us that are Christians? I compliment David on the choice of songs. I don't think I could have picked a better song than the last one he sung to kind of encapsulate the thought of what we need to be as Christians. But I want to mention to you three things that I think most of us as Christians think about and really long for in a way. I think most of us would like to be happy. I understand that happiness is not the ultimate prize but all things being equal you can obey God and be happy, I think most of us choose to be happy rather than obeying God and being unhappy if, if we have that choice. I think most of us would choose to be uh, suffer some and maybe take off the edge of our happiness and still serve the Lord if we had to. But if we can, we enjoy being happy. The problem is that many people look for happiness in the wrong place, especially in this world. And so we'll talk a little bit about how we can find that happiness as a Christian. I think most of us are looking for confidence in our salvation. Uh, I've met lots of people through the years that uh, they don't have any confidence towards salvation. And rightly so for some because they're just people of the world and uh, they have not made any effort really to serve the Lord and to be pleasing to the Lord. But I have to tell you, I've met a lot of Christians who, when asked, are you going to heaven, will say, well, I don't know. Or, well, I, I hope so. But they're not real enthusiastic about that answer sometimes. And I tell people, I think we ought to be expecting heaven. I think we as Christians ought to be surprised if we get to judgment and we're not uh, welcomed into heaven. Why would we not be, or why would we continue to live like we uh, are if we think there's a chance that we may not make it living like we are? And then I want to suggest to you, I think a lot of us seek to figure out a way that we can add value to the church. How can we help the church grow? You know, I've, I've met some people sometimes, and their idea is, we're doing fine. We're holding our own. And I used to think that was a good answer until I think it was Eugene Britton that I heard one time say, do you ever think about the fact that the one talent man held his own? But that didn't help him. And so I'm not sure that we want to just hold our own. I think we want to grow and spiritually ourselves, and we want to increase the number. And so these things are what I want us to talk about. And I think we can have all three. I think for the most part we can be happy. I think for the most part we can be confident about our salvation. And I think we can add value in what we're doing. I want you, if you would, first of all, to turn to the book of John in the 13th chapter. And I'll just give you a couple of passages that I think will confirm that we can enjoy all these things that I've just talked about, happiness and confidence and uh, adding value to the church or adding to the church. The context in John 13 is that Jesus meets with his disciples and has the Last Supper. And you remember that in John 13 that there's this uh, incident recorded that's not recorded in the other Gospels. They take the Passover feast in the other Gospels and he institutes the Lord's Supper. But in this chapter, you recall, it also talks about how he washed their feet. And if you look at verse 17 of John 13, he, after washing their feet, said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I want you to look at that word blessed for a minute. Now, he has washed their feet, and he said, now, if you know what I've done... You can be blessed. Obviously, he's not talking about just the fact that he washed feet, because anybody would understand, yeah, you just washed our feet. There's something more than there. And you need to understand this word blessed is not necessarily uh, translated happiness every time that you see it. It's the same word, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's used in the Beatitude when he says blessed is this, blessed is that. But the English, or not the English, the Greek lexicon in this passage actually has it, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And so he's telling us there is a way that we can be happy and blessed. And then if you'll turn over to the book of John, First John, in the 5th chapter, And this is a passage we actually referenced this morning, but 1 John, the 5th chapter, and look, if you would, at verse 13. And John writes and says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. So he speaks of the fact that we can Feel certain that we are saved at times. That we we can have that kind of confidence. And so here's a passage saying one that we can be happy and here's a passage that says yes that uh, we can be confident toward our salvation and, and know that we have the salvation. And that's far different from the attitude of well I, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. I, I hope so, but I just don't really have any idea. And I know we're not the judge. I know that. Like I said, we should at least be surprised, I think, if we don't make it. And we should be confident that we're going to. But then also, if you'll turn over to the book of 1 Corinthians in the third chapter, in verse 6. And the statement there is, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave increase. And so... Here's the third thing we said. We can add value. Paul writes and says, we can plant and we can water. God's going to give the increase, but we can add something and help so that the church can grow spiritually and perhaps numerically. And so the question is, how do we attain these three things? How is it that we can be happy? How is it that we can be kind of certain of our salvation by the grace of God? And how is that we can add value in our or by our lives into the church? I want to start out by talking to you about the right conscience. Now I want you to notice I didn't just say good conscience. I used the word right conscience. I this may be some more of my own invention, so uh, write it down and check it out. But I think you'll agree when I get through that that's a pretty good choice of words. You're conscience is going to have a lot to do with your happiness. You remember in the book of Genesis in the fourth chapter and it talks about how that Cain offered a sacrifice that wasn't pleasing to God and he was wrought because God accepted Abel's sacrifice but not his. And then it talked about how that he was, his countenance fell. And you remember God talked to him about this. But his conscience bothered me. He knew he didn't do right. And as a result of that, he wasn't happy. And if you're trying and striving to do right and you do wrong and you just keep doing wrong, that's going to keep you from being happy. In the book of Psalms in the 32nd chapter, and this is supposedly after David has committed sin with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed, And he talks about how that when he was in this condition and that he wasn't uh, responding as God would have him to, he said, your hand was heavy upon me. And he said, uh, his mouth was turned into drought almost. It it was just like, I can't find any comfort at all because his conscience condemned him. He knew he had done wrong. And he knew that he wasn't pleasing to God. And so that was upon him. His, his sin was weighing heavy upon him. And he wasn't happy. And I suspect that when we do those things that we know that are wrong, that that's going to be our problem too. That our conscience is going to convict us, and it's going to keep us from being happy. We're going to feel sometimes God's hand heavy upon us. In fact, people can have their conscience so bad that they end up destroying their life. If you look at the book of Matthew in the seventh chapter, or 27th chapter, this is the time that Judas has betrayed Jesus Christ and remember taking the money, and then when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he was sorry for what he had done, or he said he repented of what he had done. Doesn't seem to be a godly repentance, but uh, he he didn't he didn't like what he had done, and as my thoughts, I don't think I could necessarily turn to the scriptures and show you this, but I really don't think Judas intended for Jesus to die. My own thoughts are that that he had seen Jesus get out of trouble before. They'd been ready to kill him in times past, and Jesus somehow went through the crowd, it would say, and and he was saved. And Judas wanted the money. He got the money, and he's delivered Jesus over, and, and I don't think he really expected Jesus to be condemned. But it tells us particularly that when he saw that he was condemned, that Judas uh went to his the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. His conscience is bothering him. He, I don't know what his real intentions was, but it it wasn't working out like he thought it was he thought it would work out, and now he is bothered to the point that he goes out and takes his life on this case. And let me tell you, if your conscience is bothering you, there's a good chance that that you know you're not right. Uh, you remember over in the book of First John in the third chapter, and uh, about verse sixteen, seventeen. How uh, about chapter four and verse twenty? got to do, that John is really talking about love, and telling us we ought to love our brethren. And then in the midst of that he says, if your heart condemn you, how much more so does God? Now he's talking specifically about our loving our brothers, and he says if I know that I'm supposed to love my brother and, and I'm not loving him, then my heart bothers me or condemns me, how much more so God? So we know that talking about uh, not loving a brother and, and that bothering you, that that can condemn you. But wouldn't it work on anything else also? I mean, if, if I am of the conviction that I should take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, and then I just willfully don't take that Lord's Supper, uh, what am I going to say when I stand before God in judgment? He asked me about this. Did you know you ought to be taking that? well, my conscience bothered me a whole lot during that time, but I never took it. We're just admitting when our conscience bothers us most of the time, or at least sometimes like that, that we know that we're not doing what's right. And so our hope of salvation, if we're going to stay in that and just continue to willfully not do what's right, our hope of salvation is not going to be very strong. Now, You can have, maybe, a good conscience and may not be unhappy. You may be happy with your good conscience, but you still may not be saved. And this is why I said we need a right conscience instead of a good conscience. Because people can have a good conscience. That is, their conscience may not bother them, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're right. Right? Most of us are well familiar that in Acts the 23rd chapter and verse 1 that Paul stood there and said, I've lived in all good conscience. I mean, this was the man that had persecuted Christians for a while. And he would say it again in the book of Acts in the 24th chapter verse 16 that I, I strive constantly for a clear conscience or a good conscience. Paul thought that he was doing right when he was going to Damascus to commit people into prison for being a Christian because he was an adherent to the law of Moses and he thought that was truth and he didn't think Christ was indeed the Christ. And so he was living in a good conscience, but that didn't make him right. We understand that because he himself would go on later in the book of First Timothy in the first chapter in verse 13 and talk about, I was before a blasphemer or a persecutor and injurious, but he said, I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. So he had a good conscience, but obviously he wasn't saved. The Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus and showed him what he needed to do so that he could have salvation. And so we can see that you could have a good conscience and that still not be saved. For salvation, we need a right conscience as well as a good conscience. A right conscience would be one that is, my definition would be one that is geared to the Word of God, and then you live so that that doesn't condemn you. You live in such a way that you have a good conscience that is in Light of the Word of God, not just a good conscience, but a good conscience in right of the right standard. One of my first, in fact, my first new car that I ever bought was a '75 Buick Century. It had on it what is called a speed alert, not speed control, but speed alert. I could set that at any speed that I wanted to. And when I reached that speed, it would begin to make a noise and sound, and I'd know I'd reach that speed. If I set that back then in the speed limit most of the time was 70 or 55, and I could set it at 55 and get in the high, on the highway and go, and if it began to alarm, I knew I was reaching top speed and starting back down, and I would stay within the speed limit. But I had the ability to set that thing for 80 and get on that same 55 mile an hour highway and I could drive 75 and it wouldn't tell me, hey, you're doing wrong. And that's the way our conscience is. And that's the reason we need a right conscience rather than just a good conscience. We need something that's set according to the Word of God and that will warn us when we're doing those things that Are not in accordance to the Word of God. Turn over, if you would, for a moment to the book of Philippians in the third chapter, and let me show you how you can have a right conscience in this. In chapter three, you remember Paul is talking about how he lived in time past and how that he counted all that for loss, and as as dung so that he could have Christ. And beginning in verse 9, he says, Philippians 3, 9, "...and being found in him," that's in Christ, "...not having mine own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold on that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me. Now keep in mind, he's saying, I used to be under the law. I realized that I can't be righteous under the law. I'm reaching for Christ Jesus. And I, I've count everything lost so that I can have Christ Jesus. Then listen now to verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us many of us as are mature have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. If you want a clear conscience, a good conscience, a right conscience, then do what Paul's talking about here. Never think, okay, I've got it made. I can just stop and rest on my past works in Christ Jesus. No, hey, I've been baptized. I got it made. Go live like a woman. He said, I I don't look like and feel like I've already attained it, that I can just quit. Instead, he said, I press toward the mark. I think he's talking about, "I'm, I'm wanting to get into heaven. And I keep pressing toward that mark. I keep doing everything that I can, trying to learn and get better and do more so that I can make it to heaven. And then notice also he says that to the degree that he's already attained, he said, let us walk by the same rule. Anything that he knows that he ought to be doing, he's trying to do. He's not going to pick up the scriptures and read where uh, he ought to help the poor and then walk by the poor and he's got means to help them and just not. He's knew better than that whatever it is that he learns that he needs to do, he said, I'm going to do that. And then he's also of the mind that if I've missed something, if I'm, I'm failing to see something, then my attitude is, God, show it to me so I can learn about it and, and be right. And he says, God, show it to me. And I want to tell you, if you will do that, if you won't think I'm, I've already made it, if you'll be still striving to reach heaven, and you're of the mind that whatever I learned today, if I didn't know it yesterday, but I learned it today, then it becomes a part of my life in Christ Jesus. And you're of the mind, truly of the mind, God, if if there's something I'm missing, show it to me. I want to change because I want to be right in your sight. And then when God shows it to you, then you walk where you've attained and in doing that you'll have a right conscience and you can have confidence toward Jesus Christ. Let me go back to a second passage, one that we've already talked about though when we we talk about this uh, happiness. Go back to John 13 and verse 17 where we were a moment ago and Notice what Jesus says on this occasion. He said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And we said a moment ago, he's just washed their feet. So he's telling us, this is a way for you to be blessed or happy by understanding what he did in washing the apostles' feet. But that's not just washing the feet, because as we said a moment ago, if, if that was in some toll of, if he just wanted you to go wash feet, then we could get out a pail of water and wash feet, and then, then we'd be happy. But what he's trying to get us to realize is that he humbled himself, and he served these people. Here he is, the one that is called Master. And he's got an apron tied around him, and he's washing the feet of the apostles. You remember Peter's attitude. Well, Lord, uh, you're not going to wash my feet. And he said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you won't have a part of this. So Peter said, well, wash all of me. And he said, you're not getting it, Peter. That's not the idea. He's trying to teach you. you need to be humble and you need to serve other people. Love is the greatest commandment. We remember Jesus one time being asked, what's the greatest of the commandments? And he said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and the second likened to it that you love thy neighbor as thyself. We are told to love brothers and sisters elsewhere in the Bible. And love has the best interest of somebody else in mind. That's what love is. It's, it's having the best interest of somebody else in, in mind. It's selflessness or causes us to be selflessness. i Don't remember which book that it was I read, but I read some self help books one time. But I remember that one of them told the story about an older lady that was just infirm and sick and and just made everybody's life unpleasant. And so somebody told her one time said, You know, you need to stop griping so and start. Helping others. And moved the phone where it wasn't a cell phone back then. Just moved the phone so she could get it and she could start calling people and, and talking to them and encouraging them. And it wasn't long before she was getting up out of the bed and doing other things. I was in D. Bowman's present one time and somebody was complaining about something. He said, tell you what to do. He said, you go do something good for somebody else, not expecting anything in return and something that they themselves are not expecting. And may I add, we need just keep on doing that. And that will help us in our happiness as well as our love one for another to serve other people. That's a part of living this Christian life that we're talking about and finding happiness in doing so. But also let me, let me tell you a little bit more about confidence in our salvation. The things that we've already talked about, uh, living in a good conscience, helping other people, that certainly will help us to uh, have confidence in salvation But to have confidence in salvation, we're going to have to do more than that. Confidence in salvation really starts when we understand and accept Jesus as Lord Christ. Most of us remember John 14 and verse 6 when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. First thing we've got to do if we want to be confident in salvation is we're going to have to As we said this morning, we're going to have to believe in Christ Jesus. Not just uh, mentally consent, but really believe in him. As we talked about this morning, really know that he's Lord. and, And understand that when he's Lord, that whatever it is he tells us to do, that we're going to do it because he is Lord. He's master. But through him comes forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. Acts the 4th chapter in verse 12, he talks about how that uh, there's no other name in which there's salvation other than the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we need to to believe in Jesus with all of our heart and all our soul and not just a mental consent, but a real firm belief that Jesus is Lord. And we need to understand that, that he can forgive us of our sins and will forgive us of our sins. I know it's an Old Testament passage, but I really like the imagery of of forgiveness that's told to us in the book of Acts, or the book of Ezekiel in the 18th chapter, uh, beginning in verse 20. When Ezekiel said, The soul who sins shall, shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of his son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. And he goes on to talk about, do I have any pleasure in the wicked? And the answer, of course, is no. He is grateful that we are righteous and that we seek forgiveness of sins. And in Christ, any sin that we have that that haunts us or uh, anything we've done even before Christ, uh, we can have forgiveness of that, which should bring us happiness and should also give us that salvation we're looking for. But we're going to have to live for Christ. And I mean, we're going to have to make Christ the center of our life. A couple of passages, look at 2 Corinthians the 5th chapter and let's begin reading in verse 14, read 14 and 15, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. So he says we are supposed to live for Christ. Look over to the book of Colossians in the third chapter and beginning in verse 1. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Sounds kind of like Philippians 3, doesn't it? We've been crucified with him, raised with him, so we should be looking at those things above, pressing toward that, that goal. But he says... Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what Paul's talking about in in Romans the 6th chapter. We talked a little bit about Romans this morning that, that in Romans he's telling us we can have salvation through Christ Jesus. We have faith in Christ. And then in chapter 6, he says, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Don't you know that you died to sin, and so you're you to rise up and walk in unison life? You're living for Christ. And I've made the point before that when you're looking at Romans 6, he hasn't mentioned baptism up to chapter through chapter 5. He's talked about we're saved by faith. But he comes to chapter 6, and he says, you were baptized. He knew that those people that were saved by faith, that they would have been baptized. He just knew that that was included in the idea of faith. And so he didn't have to worry about it. He didn't say, now, if you been, have been saved by faith and if you've been baptized, he just knew that those people that had, had been saved by faith were those people that had been baptized and that in baptism, that's where they died to sin. Look also, if you would, at the book of Galatians in the third chapter. Oh, how about two? Chapter two and verse twenty. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of god who loves me and gave himself for me you're living for christ and philippians 1:21 paul says for me to live is christ he he's saying again i died and we need to understand there's a difference in living for ourselves and trying just to fill in the the cracks around with christ that's different than living for christ in living for Christ, you're not going to be entangled in the affairs of this life. You know, you, you read, if you know the Scriptures a couple of times about entanglement. One of them is James talking about we're entangled in sin, and those people were dead in sin. And then First Timothy the 3rd chapter, he talks about our being entangled in sin, or entangled in the affairs of life, rather, doesn't seem to be talking about sin itself, but rather the idea of just letting this world crowd out Jesus, like the the parable of the sower and the the sower or the the plants that can't come up and don't live because they're just entangled with thorns and thistles. And if you're living for Christ, then you're going to follow Matthew 6 and verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're putting anything else in front of Christ, that's not first. And that's not the kind of life that he really wants us to live. Look over if you would also to the book of John, the 15th chapter for a moment. I am the vine, you are the, the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to figure out what he's talking about. You abide in me, he says, and you bear fruit, he says. i I can remember studying this passage. I guess in detail, or come into a better understanding of it, one time when he I really realized, you know, I have to abide in him, and I am supposed to bear fruit. And you, you look at the passage, and he talks about some who bear no fruit. He talks about some who bear some fruit, and he talks about some who bears much fruit. And that's the one he wants us to be, much fruit. And I remember looking at that passage that, we bear some fruit, but he will purge us that we may bear forth more fruit. And for the first time, it realized to me, that doesn't mean that you're just cutting away the dead branches. You prune things, you prune some of the the things that that look good, but they just haven't, so that other parts can get more of the energy and bring forth more fruit. And that's what he's wanting of us. He wants us to be, dedicated to him so that we can bring forth more fruit. I think sometimes we think about bearing fruit and we think only about making other Christians, and that's, that's a good part of the fruit, and that's good. But we also have the fruit of the Spirit that he talks about in Galatians 5 that we need to be bearing. We have the fruit of the lips he talks about in the book of Hebrews in the 13th chapter, in verse 15, we can do that. He talks about the fruits of righteousness in Philippians 1, verse 11. And so it's not just bringing other people to Christ. It's just doing right. And by doing that, we're honoring Christ. And if we're going to be a true Christian and, and have confidence in our salvation, we're going to have to be willing to bear fruit. And that may be hard sometimes. We have talked about 2 Peter a lot of, the times, but if you want to increase as a Christian, pay attention to Second Peter 1 and verse 5, where he says, given all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, the virtue of knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brother kindness, brother kindness, love. Because he says, if you do these things, then you're not going to be barren, you're not going to be unfruitful, and you're going to have an entrance to the kingdom. Made abundant to you, and so if you want that confidence that we're talking about, and we'll talk more about this in our Wednesday night class sometime soon, but add to your faith virtue, that moral energy that we're talking about, and to virtue knowledge is moral energy to me, or virtue seems to be a moral energy, and and you remember that Paul wrote to the Romans we were in this morning, Romans 10 about. Uh, that I bear record they have a zeal for God. Then he says, not according to knowledge. Peter says, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge. You need to direct that that energy you've got, that moral energy. And then he says, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, self-control. If you have the knowledge, but you don't have the self-control. It's not going to help you. Then he says, add patience. You can't just do it for a few minutes and be through. You've got to keep on doing it. That's what patience is. We think about don't blow up a lot in our society, but it's really don't give up. So add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness. That doing those things that are right for the right reason because you're trying to please God. And then of course, add in love and brotherly love. And you can have that confidence that we're talking about. And the other thing we mentioned, building up the church, we've oftentimes mentioned if you want to build up a church, then you need to keep the faithful faithful, you need to restore the fallen, you need to add new members. And living for Christ is an extended invitation for all who see our life. you remember how Acts 16, that Paul and Barnabas are singing praises unto God? It leads to the conversion of the Philippian jailer. A godly life plus a Invitation is a powerful invitation. And we can do that. We have people here that saw people living godly lives, were invited to come, they came, they heard, they obeyed, and now they are living this. We need to be passionate about Christ and his word. Paul would say, take heed to yourself and your doctrine. We need to do that. We need to be like Aquila and Priscilla. There, We're watching for opportunities to just Help others gain a better and greater knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love Ezra 7, verse 10. It just seems like it it uh, sums up a good Christian life. It's Ezra when he says that, I prepared my heart to know God, and then to know the Word, and then to do it, and then to teach others. And that's what we, you and I need to do. We need to prepare our heart to know God. And, and you'll do that if you'll search the scriptures and study about God. You'll prepare your heart to know God, to accept his word. And then you read it, study it, and you do whatever you hear him say do. That you know he's talking to you, you do it. And then doing that, you will find the happiness that you haven't found it before, and you'll have confidence in your salvation if you can look at it and say, by God's grace, I can make it to heaven because I'm doing what I know to do, and I'm of the mind and heart that if if I'm doing something wrong, God show me so I can change. He may show us, and then we're going to be tested if we really mean it, but if we mean it, we can get to heaven. You know, nobody... I mean, nobody has it better than Christians. I mean, it doesn't make any difference what we did in times past. If we repent of it and obey God, he'll forgive us. And after you've done that, if you sin, you can go to God in prayer and ask for forgiveness. If you're truly repenting, he's going to forgive you. And if you sin again, you can repent again and ask for forgiveness, and he's going to forgive you. And if you'll just keep that pure heart, going to God constantly, making sure that you're right in God's sight, you can have that happiness, you can have that confidence, which will bring happiness, and you can be of value to the church by living the kind of life that you ought to live and inviting people and telling people about Christ. If you're not in Christ now and you're not confident of your salvation, why not make it right tonight? Either come and be baptized in Christ, come and confess your sins and have us pray with you. There's no reason for any of us to walk out of this building not feeling confident about our salvation and happy at the hope that we have. You're subject to the invitation in any way. We invite you to come as together we stand and sing.